internet's down. No e-coin. $19.86. Do I know you? I don't think so. You look awfully familiar. Yeah, sorry, we're kind of in a hurry. You sure we haven't met before? Hello, friend. Hi to all of our listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Hello Friend podcast where we discuss all things Mr. Robot. I'm Margaret and I'm here with Henry and we're here to discuss episode four of the final season of Mr. Robot. Hey Henry, how's it going? It's going okay, Margaret. I can't access my bank account uh, because Bank of America is down. Uh, So uh, I, I feel like I'm already living in the world of Mr. Robot. I hear you. And, you know, it, it really is times like these that we're reminded how reliant we are to the cloud and the infrastructure and the Internet. It's funny. I'm in the process of moving, as you know, and my mover isn't able to send my boxes because they are in a storage unit that he rents. And because of the California power outages, he's unable to access the storage unit. So when the internet and those kinds of services and the electricity grid are troubled because of uh, wildfires, you know, it really impacts our lives in in ways we don't even necessarily anticipate. Yeah, you think about how we live in a very interconnected and interdependent world, but a lot of the infrastructure that connects us is not very resilient. It's actually pretty fragile. And climate change seems to be putting stresses on critical pieces of our infrastructure, and we're seeing them fail. Absolutely. And so with that in mind, what did you think of this fourth installment of the final season, which basically was all about looking for things and not finding them? Yeah, so the episode to me started out, I felt pretty strong. Like I felt, you know, I always like the episodes where I feel a lot of things are happening, uh, and I, I guess some of the more action-driven. Uh, so it started off this way, and I, and I, and I, I liked it, and then it kind of took a turn towards more of the surreal and the, the, the talky, the dialogue-heavy, and that to me is uh, I, uh, sometimes less enjoyable. I hear you, and especially this whole season, I felt like, I feel like there's a lot of, a little bit of rushing to give, people's backstories and to sort of reveal motivations that maybe we didn't really necessarily need to have or even see the motivations that we that don't even necessarily seem in sync with the characters and we'll, we'll probably get to that later and you know one of the reasons I love Mr. Robot and I did enjoy this episode is that I like I like seeing how the hacking takes place in all the different ways that 
people are using computer hacking and social hacking to kind of get to a different goal or, or achieve a, a mission or quest. I hear you on that front. I mean, one thing is for sure, though, is uh, nobody's enjoying their Christmas holidays. Yeah, it, it, it's like the antithesis of a typical holiday film, right? It's instead of happy uh, happiness and good cheer, you just have a bunch of like miserable, lonely people uh, desperate for some sort of connection and willing to debase themselves in all sorts of ways to make that connection. Absolutely. And when we start off this episode, as we sort of commented last week, Tyrell, duh, what were you thinking? There is somebody from the Dark Army who's eavesdropping when Tyrell storms Elliot's apartment and says, I'm CEO, I'm amazing. Did you think that was a little too on the nose, maybe? Yeah, I mean, initially I thought it was... One of these uh, plot devices or motivations that can bring a little hollow, right? You know, oftentimes when the writers feel like they need to advance the story, they need to create motivation and circumstances to, to move things along. And to me, a mark of good writing is if they can do this without doing things that are sort of false to the characters that they've already established or things that seem sort of stupid or uh, too convenient. And so this idea that somehow... Torell or Elliot, two methodical, uh, intelligent people make casual mistakes it seems sometimes silly. I agree with that assessment, but you know, they do figure out that this white van, this, you know, I, I'm always suspicious of giant white vans driving on the California freeway. They seem to be always be the ones that are the most reckless in terms of driving. I don't know, just my weird observation. But it does turn out that somebody is listening into their conversation. Elliot manages to jam the signal, and I'd really like to know what he did to achieve that. But then Tyrell kills the guy who was eavesdropping, or at least that's what he thinks. Did you like that scene? Did that feel believable to you, or what were, what were your thoughts? I remember watching the scene in real time and thinking that the guy wasn't dead because he made some sort of groaning breathing sound. And, you know, to me, uh, if you're going to, uh, it, it just seems a little bit silly that they wouldn't check to make sure he was dead. Um, but then as the episode unfolds, and to me, a question is raised about whether Terrell is in fact a real person. I started thinking back to this scene a little bit differently and thinking, okay, well, maybe it's, actually talking about like the conflict in Elliot's mind and he's just kind of saying these things out loud um, you know in his own apartment and uh, he's you know the one who kind of uh, tried to kill this guy but because he was conflicted he yeah I think that's a really interesting observation and I noticed that in this scene where they see this guy who's dead where Maybe Terrell is one of Elliot's alter personalities, which I think there's a lot that lends credence towards that theory. But every time scenes like this happened, I noticed there was this music box style music that would kind of chime in at different parts in this episode. And maybe that was a sign that this is going on in Elliot's head or this is one of Elliot's alters. I, I was wondering if the music was a cue. I also noticed that they were talking about how the fact that the log files haven't been sent yet to the Dark Army. And that also rang a little false to me because 
I would think that the log files would automatically be logged somehow. Do you understand the technology behind that? Why would they need to send the log files? Was that to be better hidden from Elliot? I mean, I, I guess that would be one of the things, right? Is that they're deploying some sort of communication method or protocol where they're not continuously transmitting uh, data. Because if you were really trying to run some sort of covert listening operation, you wouldn't want to constantly be broadcasting because then you yourself uh, become very uh, like visible. You know, you become conspicuous. So you would want to deploy some sort of communication method where you're intermittently broadcasting information and receive and able to receive information. Yeah, that's a good excla- explanation. It did give me a little bit of pause, but this show really is always pretty good, except for the Terrell mix-up about, hello, Elliot. Uh, they're usually pretty good about uh, the being accurate with the tech end of things. And then we cut to Darlene. She's pretty savvy as, as a hacker herself, as we've discussed, and she did manage to get lateral access to the Bank of Cyprus, but because they all use proxies, uh, she's really having a hard time getting in there, but she thinks that the holidays is really the time to strike. She's very upset with Hel- Elliot. How many times have you left a voicemail like she did for Elliot, only to re-record at least once one more time i'm not that confident in technology so i always you know sometimes feel i operate with the ghost of george costanza in the sense that i i i sometimes imagine myself in this universe and try to avoid situations in which i would quickly become like george costanza and to me leaving a really angry message (laughs) with the idea that you would have the opportunity to erase it just seems like it would be one of those episodes where someone's using a, a cell service that doesn't provide that option and you've left this really terrible message and you're waiting for it to say please you know confirm and you just never get it it just says thank you goodbye and then you're like what what i want to delete this message um so no uh, i'll to say i have not <laughs> well i've done it a few times but there is always that paranoia that you'll get some kind of weird You've exceeded your number of times you're allowed to re-record this message. Too bad for you, sucker. So I hear you on that front. But Darlene, you know, a lot happens with her character arc as we see throughout this episode. But we don't have time for that because we cut to Dominique. And, you know, once again, Dominique is doing her thing with trying to connect with people and Alexa over the computer or over the Internet and... She logs on to an IRC sex chat, which was, I mean, my gosh, I guess people, do people still use IRC? When is this in the Mr. Robot world? I thought it was 2000, I thought it was 2015. That's right. That's right. Do people still use IRC? I'm a little out of the loop there. Yes, they do. But I think often IRC is also a channel for people to share files. Um, so you have like, you know, people using IRC to distribute, uh, binaries and things like this and bots and it's it's one of these uh increasingly one of these sort of uh dark corners of the internet um uh, but you know i think it's also worth talking about the fact that she was masturbating to an interrogation video of darlene like (laughs) 
you know, let's not gloss over that, Margaret. Like that, that was definitely eyebrow raising to me. It's true. It, it not only combines tawdry sexual fantasies about Darlene, but Darlene in the midst of an interrogation. So maybe it was doubly enticing for this FBI agent. It was kind of odd. Yes, she did that before she logged on to speak with happy hard on Henry. Hey, shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, that username, now I know why every time I try to use that username, it's taken. Is uh, someone, someone in the show has uh, beat me to it. Uh, I, I thought, I thought, I thought the, the scene with Darlene uh, and Dom uh, rubbing one out to Darlene was a little bit, you know, heavy handed because I think this is supposed to set the stage for Darlene and Dominique to intersect in their stories and uh, this sexual tension between them and, and probably giving a reason for why Dom, Dom will betray some sort of principle so that uh, Darlene can benefit, right? Because I think that's ultimately what this motivation is trying to establish, is that she'd be willing to do something that would otherwise be out of character for Darlene. Yeah, you've been predicting all along those two will will get together, and not just virtually or in Dominique's imagination, which is rather vivid. So I think you're right, that's going to be unfolding, especially after we saw what happened with Dominique later on in this episode. And... um. Regarding the IRC chat and the handle Happy Hard on Henry, I guess that's a, a shout out to uh, Christian Slater in Pump Up the Volume. His name was Happy Harry Hard on, and it's a play on words. I've never seen Pump Up the Volume, but I really want to now. Have you seen it? <laughs> uh, that's the one where he was a radio DJ, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. I saw that in high school a couple of times, and I think I was. A little bit too young when I watched it because it just confused me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to check it out. I've never seen it. Meanwhile, back at Elliot's place, Darlene is sensing something is wrong. Not that hard to figure out. And she logs on to the hacked signal to try to get a, a beat on where Elliot is. And uh, that sets her sort of trajectory in motion for this episode and then we cut quickly to one of the most annoying people in this episode, the woman who's working at the gift shop uh, slash gas station slash general store. Elliot and Mr. Robot and Tyrell are there to pay for gasoline, which costs 1986. I don't know if that means anything. And she seems to think that Tyrell was from the show Big Brother. She knows he's somebody... Do you think she's Dark Army? I think everybody's Dark Army at this point. No, I, I didn't get the sense that she was Dark Army. I thought I, I thought her character, um, you know, I think he exhibited more of this kind of contempt of people in the middle of the country <laughs> more than anything. Is like this this uh, coastal elite looking down at the the Trump supporter and you know the way that they imagine people who live outside of the city areas. Uh, Kind of think and behave um yeah <laughs> i thought her character was kind of annoying i got that vibe too and it seems like uh tyrell and elliot and mr robot they're somewhere in upstate new york and for new yorkers i'm i'm here right now anything outside of new york for a lot of them is uh, you know would be the hinterlands 
And so they could be somewhere not that remote, but remote enough for people who live in Brooklyn or Manhattan to feel like it's the ends of the earth. So she definitely was uh, set up to be annoying. They wanted to pay for gas, and then they go back outside to see the guy in the van whom they think is dead, and he's gone. Whoa, he's not dead. Yeah, I mean, what did they they not search him for keys? Like, what what exactly <laughs> did these three geniuses do where they they allowed the van to be taken? You know, it's like did they just leave the keys in the van? Like, what what exactly happened? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, again, that's like one of those narrative conventions that seems a little bit sloppy. We leave our our heroes or our main folks there, and then we cut back to Darlene. And she's doing more hacking. She's hacking into a car. And I thought this was an interesting scene because, you know, gone are the good old days of hot wiring a car to break in and start it, start it. It's a whole new system that she's using. I wish I had time to research the tech. But then she runs into the guy who says it's his car. He's a drunk Santa named Tob- Tobias. And he needs to go to a place called Fox Rot or Foxtrot. Uh, what did you think of Drunk Santa and Darlene's break-in? Yeah, I wasn't crazy about the scene. I felt like uh, it was like equivalent to the, the ALF episodes, right? Where they're riding in the round of the car with ALF. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this actor who plays Drunk Santa, I know he's been on a bunch of shows and he's a writer himself. I felt like... Again, I was like, is he Dark Army? Is, is he trying to dissuade Darlene from her mission? And I definitely felt like the lady at the store whom we encounter in the next scene and the drunk Santa, it was almost like this episode was more like a fairy tale, the way it worked. And, you know, fairy tales always have these mechanisms of characters or, or events that just send our heroes on a wayward journey. And maybe that was simply his role because... Uh, Later on, we see that Darlene and Drunk Santa spent a lot of time together. That seemed a little bit, I don't know, a little filler-ish to me, but still interesting. Then we cut to the store again, and they need to make a call. And because they don't have access to their phones because the internet is down, they couldn't even pay for the gas with eCoin. Oh dear, oh my. And again, you know, shows how reliant we are on our phones and our our data access. They learned that there's a shortcut to go to Pike's Hollow, the nearest phone. And this reminded me of, again, a fairy tale. And a lot of folks were comparing it to an episode of The Sopranos called The Pine Barrens, where they're supposed to take the shortcut, like a very fairy tale-esque thing. Did you like how that sort of developed? Or what, what did you think about that? Well, for me, I hate getting lost. And I hate being around indecision. So watching this is also equally painful. (laughs) You know, people making bad decisions and wandering around in the cold without adequate gear or preparation and, you know, not able to be decisive and figure out where they're going. Like all of this just drives me crazy. So to me, you know, it's, it's like watching people engage in behavior that you find really just unpleasant. 
That's what it was like for me. It reminded me of something that happened to me a few weeks ago. My mobile service throttled my data because I downgraded my data because I was like, I'm not going to need all this data. And they were like, oh, you need all this data. And we're going to show you how much you need it. We're going to throttle you. I was in the middle of nowhere and I needed to call Lyft. And Lyft does not work when you don't have really good data coverage. When it's throttled, it just can't access the network. And I was literally stuck in the middle of nowhere. And I definitely related to the scene and, and the frustration. Then we cut back to a little bit of Dominique where she ends up thinking she's still on IRC. The person she's chatting with, because you know she stopped watching the interrogation video, uh, happy hard on Henry 806. Turns out that at least in this fever dream or feverish dream, I guess, that Dominique thinks she's a female. And uh, so we see some weird stuff there. And then we cut to Tyrell and Elliot and Mr. Robot walking through the woods in these very murky, creepy scenes in upstate New York where there, there are these howling animals. And you're right, and this is where a lot of the philosophizing begins, where Terrell says, what if you search and you don't find what you're looking for no matter how long you look? And there was a lot of desperation. Did you think Elliot was just there talking to himself? I mean, is Terrell just one of his alters? In, in retrospect, that increasingly seems like the case, right? And I, I like your point about the fairy tale like structure because it, it reminds me very much of the the fairy tale structures or old japanese novels were often structured this way where you know characters would go on a journey and oftentimes dramatic tension or plot devices were constructed by people kind of narrowly missing each other and uh it reminds me a lot of the way that this episode is structured yeah same here and then just one quick mention, at one point we cut back to Darlene and Drunk Santa, and they're playing uh, Joey by Concrete Blonde, which I thought was an interesting song choice. I was at a Halloween party, and I took over the, I took over the playlist music that was playing at the party because the music wasn't as good as what I would have chosen, and I chose the Concrete Blonde song Bloodletting because it was a Halloween party, so I thought it was a little timely just to hear another Concrete Blonde song out of the blue. And then we cut back to uh, El Elliot in the woods where Tyrell is browbeating him saying, you don't care, you wear a hoodie, I care, I wear $6,000 suits, we're all going to die out here. And that's when I really felt like Tyrell was an altar of Elliot's because, I mean, it just seemed really out of character for Tyrell to be whiny like that. Yeah, it yeah, just the way that the, the dialogue and just the strangeness of Mr. Robot, Elliot, and Turrell walking around together. You know, it strike, strikes me that maybe one of the ways that these personas differentiate, obviously, is that they all dress different. And if it was the same person with three different alter egos or more, each of these alter egos would dress differently. And maybe this is what Elliot does, where sometimes he's dressed in a suit and it's really fancy, and that's his Toral persona. Other times he looks like Mr. Robot, this kind of like down-to-earth, uh, wise-cracking guy. And then there's this like emo, uh, you know, brilliant uh, but distant uh, Elliot persona who dresses just in black and a black hoodie. 
I think so, too. That's increasingly what I think is the case. And, you know, we can contrast these scenes in the woods. And I love the metaphor of the forest and the woods. I, I love the forest in general. Uh, and I love walking in the forest. And we can contrast these scenes where they're talking about we're going to die, we're going to die, what's the point, to drunk Santa and Darlene talking about the um, the little children in the cancer ward at Sloan Kettering where drunk Santa says it's almost as if they were born to die. So maybe there's some tie in there. I don't know. Darlene sees that drunk Santa pulls out booze and Percocet, and that leads a whole down a whole line of people making assumptions about each other's lives, which, again, was pretty talky. And then when we cut to Dom's apartment and we see Dom has invited over her IRC chat pal, did you know at the time it was happening that this was a dream, or did you think it was real? I thought it was real, and, you know, that's one of the things that makes me think that uh, there are other things in this episode that are more allegorical or symbolic than actually real. Yeah, the one thing I thought was really funny is even in Dominique's sort of dream, which I was kind of thinking, this is really too surreal. Dominique wouldn't just invite some random person over. And what were the chances that it's exactly who she would want it to be in terms of gender and all that stuff? And uh, they were, she was playing this song, uh, Total Con- Control by the Motels, which was interesting. But I thought it was funny that the character that came over to Dominique said, I thought you were more organized than this, which is like even in um, Dominique's dreams, she's sort of berating herself. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, You know, uh, her mother also seems like she can be hard on Dominique. So maybe it's kind of symbolic of how she's internalized this. Yes. And then when Darlene gets drunk Santa home and this really fabulously decorated Christmas house and you know they they clear up their misunderstandings Darlene has Steinbeck quoted to her about goodbyes being final and I guess that's another nod to this being the final season it was an okay uh, scene but I, I felt like a little bit throwaway I mean it did give Darlene food for thought that maybe she should save herself and not always try to save Elliot and that is the first time we see that happening I thought it was interesting how she assumed certain things and assumed that, you know, he was the one who was really suffering and whose life was messed up. And it turned out that it wasn't the case. And she was actually the one who had the worst uh, situation. And it just strikes me that, you know, these situations sometimes happen in life. And it's always really interesting when it happens. Like, I... uh, yeah, I, I, I've seen this happen before where people think that someone maybe has less money than them, you know, especially in Silicon Valley. Like there, there's a couple of people I know who look like they're homeless, but they're actually quite wealthy. And you know, it's often funny to see people go from like pitying the person to not quite understanding how to interact with them because they're so actually quite wealthy. Yeah, I had an experience like that yesterday. I, as you know, I just moved and somebody said, well, how did the move go? And I said, well, I pretty much gave away everything to make the move easy. And he thought, oh, well, that's because you had so much stuff. And I'm like, no, it's because I'm a total minimalist <laughs> at this point in my life. And, you know, and, and people 
really do make a lot of assumptions in communication. It's, it's part of our flawed human condition. Then we got back to a lot more of the scenes where Tyrell's whining, you don't need me. And then we hear these baleful, mournful, beastly wails, which I thought was super cool and creepy. And uh, they encounter a dead deer. And the minute I saw the dead deer, I was like, somebody's going to die. Something's going to happen. That was symbolic. And they find the van. And that guy, the Dark Army guy, I mean, he just would not die. He even managed to shoot Tyrell, or at least that's what we're led to believe. And Tyrell just goes walking off into the distance into this blue light. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> right? It's like, what What the hell is going on? Who? Who's real? Like, what just happened? That was... That was my response. Did you get any significance from, and I hear you, and I love seeing Tyrell walking off in the distance with, you know, towards the moon, howl at the moon, I guess, to quote Ozzy Osbourne, which I do regularly. Did you think Tyrell looking into the blue light had any significance? Was that just an effect or? I mean, I, I from what I've read, there's a lot of symbolism in the show. And it seems like everything is very meticulously planned. So I'm sure there is like a film school explanation for why it looks like the way that it does. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if there was any sort of meaningful uh, dramatic significance, if you know what I mean. Yes. And do you think Terrell's dead? I mean, you think he's an altar. So you think he's dead metaphorically, right? Yeah, I think he's like dead metaphorically. Um, but I mean, we've thought Terrell was dead before and then he's managed to come back. Right. So, uh, maybe he'll make an appearance towards the, the final episodes again. Yeah. And it really didn't ring true when Terrell was saying stuff like, I always try to do the right thing. I'm like, dude, did you not see yourself in season one? I mean, you're, you're kind of a cold character and it seemed really like a lot of self-pity was going on and a lot of revisionist history was going on um, as they're walking in the woods. And I think he was dead as the altar and they faded to white, which I guess is a convention to signify death. Usually you see movies and, and film fade to black. So fade to white's a pretty unusual technique. Overall, pretty good episode. I, I like the fairy tale element of it. Did you have anything else to say about what you noticed in this episode or any predictions? Uh, predictions. I think uh, Darlene and Dominique are increasingly going to head in each other's direction. Uh, I think next episode will be about the pieces moving into place for the meeting uh, so that a new CEO of E Corp can be decided. Uh, you know, the, the drug dealer Vargas, like I expect him to, uh, go after the, the doctor so that we can establish some sort of leverage over Elliot, uh, because he'll obviously want to rescue her. Uh, so I think that's all going to happen in the next episode. Yeah, I think so too. And one thing is for sure, if you think you're having a terrible holiday, just think of these people and chances are your holiday is going to be much better than theirs. Another general prediction I have is we'll find more information about what this shipment is that White Rose is expecting. I asked somebody today that I know what he thinks the, the shipment is, and he thought it had something to do with nuclear weapons or something nuclear, which is a line of thinking I really hadn't considered. 
So maybe we'll discover more of that. Did you have a, what would you rather? I can't believe I constantly forget the name of that's the segment. <laughs> I, I do have one uh, further prediction. Uh, so going on the, oh, going on the, the naming convention of the previous episodes, 405 error is method not allowed, right? So I think, you know, just thinking about what that might mean in the episode to come, uh, someone is going to try to do something and find themselves blocked. And I think because Ellie and Darlene are the ones who are trying to, to do this hack with Cyprus, something that they think is going to work is not going to work. That's a great prediction. You're right. They're going to really focus more sense. on this getting into the Cyprus bank. One thing they were going to do was try to get into, I think, Cyprus bank via virtual realty, which I think is a wonderful play on names. So that's a, that's a really good prediction. Now that we've really hit the low point of the season in terms of everything kind of sucking for everybody, except for that lady in the gift shop. She seems pretty happy. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any uh, thoughts around a what would you rather segment? Yeah. What would you rather, debit or credit? Oh, debit, 100%. How about you? Credit. That's that's interesting. I, I, I was I was interested to see if we would differ because oftentimes I think women prefer debit uh, and men prefer credit. But I, I'm just basing this off of anecdotal experience as well as my experience running a cash register for a while. And I could pretty much every single person who did debt, I would say not every single, but like over 90% of the people who get a check or debit card were women. And every, the men almost universally used credit cards. What do you think that is? And why would you choose credit over debit? For me, I choose credit because it seems like I can put off the hit to my checking account for a little bit longer. So it's see, and then there's like all these protections built into when I use a credit card in terms of purchase protection or war extended warranties or things like this. So uh, I like that. And I like there being a bit of a buffer between my checking account and whatever entity is trying to get money from me. I like that. That's a really interesting perspective. And I like that, that uh, comparison and it gives me some food for thought. All right, so mine to you is, what would you rather, Facebook Libra <laughs> or Ecoin? <laughs> well, considering that one only exists in a TV show and the other one will have some sort of value, I guess I would say Libra, um, but that's very reluctantly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence about that. It's, this is, that's a weird one myself. I'm convinced that Facebook Libra, which is uh, Facebook's attempt at a cryptocurrency, is going to be one step closer to putting us on a social credit system. So uh, I guess I would choose eCoin because it's fictional. <laughs> yeah, the, the social credit system has already been rolled out in China in a lot of places, and I think they're moving really quickly with this. Uh, I think a lot of the technologies that they're developing in China in terms of data mining for the purposes of uh, social credit as well as AI to do prediction on the back of any sort of social credit score. These are all things that can be exported to the West and the United States really easily. So I think it's up to everyone to make it 
uh, politically impossible for something like that to happen. Yes, it's a good point because it's really within the next, oh gosh, five or 10 years that it would come to the U.S. I mean, you know, people say, well, we already have a FICO score. And I'm like, well, social credit is a FICO score times a thousand. Yeah, it can affect your ability to travel. Like already in China, it affects your ability to travel uh, and get like the necessary visas or paperwork uh, so that you can travel freely. Uh, as you know, people expect that uh, increasingly there will be fewer jobs uh, available because of automation. And that means that there's going to be more forms of public assistance or benefits that people will have to use to stay alive because there aren't a lot of jobs. And increasingly access to those can be gated by some sort of social credit system where if you have good social credit, you get certain sorts of benefits or you get a certain amount of universal basic income. But if you don't, then you don't qualify and your quality of life will suffer. Yeah, you need that kidney, too bad. Your social credit has gone below the level that we allow you to get medical care. So yeah, something for everyone to be aware of. Well, this has been really fun discussing this fairy tale like episode with you and coming up with predictions. And I'm really glad that our listeners have been along for the ride with us. And uh, thanks, Henry. It's great chatting. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. Yep. Thanks, Margaret. Look forward to the next one. Thanks. Thanks.